Hey everybody, it's Ryan, Russ, and Blaine, and we appreciate you listening to episode 8 of season 5 of the Presequential Podcast. Historically adjacent is what we're calling this. Woo! We've gone through the presidents. We've gone through a se- the first season of American Gladiators. That was a bear, by the way, Gladiators. I've met like two people who were like, ah, oh, season 4 is my favorite. I've yeah. met one. Yeah. I've met one also. I'm glad we finished it's it, though. Four, yeah. You know what? Yeah. We set out to do something, we finished it. Like, in the, the concept of it seemed really cool. Yeah. And then, like, it just became a chore. Yeah. And it's okay. This is way more fun, fun, though. But listen, yeah. you're still with us. We're calling this Historically Adjacent. And Russ has our first story of this round. Russ, Thank take you. it away. Russ Slivka. Russ Little Plum. Slivka. That's right. The That's little middle plum. Name. The little plum. Yeah. The little plum. Samuel Gumperts. Hmm. That's a fun name. Nope, it's not who you're okay. thinking of. Okay. Gumperts? You're thinking of Samuel, Samuel. Glompers. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, union. Yeah. It's not him. Okay. Who was that guy? Glompers? Samuel. Yeah, it was a union guy. Yeah, he was okay. a, a big union I'll guy. I'll take your word for it. Samuel Gumperts was born in 1868 to Herman and Elizabeth Gumperts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fun name to say. He was like, Mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> yeah. Was this the seven bus? <laughs> His father was a lawyer and a veteran of the Civil War. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your service, mm-hmm. Mr. Gumpers. 1860. Gumpers. Uh, okay. That would have been a uh, post-war, like, instant baby. No, he baby. was born before the war. He was, he born, was born in 1862, right? 1868. Oh, okay. So, so daddy was, comes home. Oh, and immediately. We got yeah. a baby. Getting to work. Yeah. Baby boom. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I bet there was a Civil War baby boom, just like there was a World mm-hmm. War II Not baby as boom. big one, because not very many people. Well, okay, yeah. Came back. Yeah. 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 He was born in Washington and then moved to St. Louis at an early age. Okay. And by the time he was nine, he had run away with the circus. Oh. Oh, of course he did, if it's your story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I love the circus. What's your favorite part of the circus? Or is it just the idea of a circus? I like all of it. You okay. love the clues? I like, you know, the. I mean, I'm not on board with all the animal stuff. Cruelty. That people don't like. But, I mean, like, the end result's kind of cool. What what like, what else? I mean, what gets your heart racing at a circus, Russ? The like, mighty Adam. How do they get all those clowns out of that little car? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just keep I was, coming. I was, I, went, I was at my son's cross-country meet on Thursday, and a bus showed up with, like, one of the teams. And, like... They just kept coming yeah. off the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's a clown car. There's a clown car. Like, there's no way a hundred middle schoolers fit on that bus. No. Yeah. Do you like the trapeze? How do you feel about it? I do. I like, the, I like all of it. Trapeze I like the trapeze. Cool. I like the jugglers. I like the clowns. Have you seen The Greatest Showman? No. Okay. Really? Yeah. You might, seen it. You might enjoy it. For some reason, it's like a blind spot for me. Yeah. I, you, I, I think you would it. enjoy it. Uh, you, Jackman. Uh, you. Hugh Jackman. Huge Jackman. So it's basically Wolverine and the guy from High School Musical yep. do a different High School Musical oh, about Z- the circus. And Zendaya. She's in it, too. Who? Zendaya. She's in it as well. I don't Is she, she the love interest of High School Zac Musical? She is Zac Efron's love interest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's that's, not say too much, though. Zendaya? He might watch it. You're really not selling it for me right now. But you like the circus. I do like the circus. How okay. am I you guys don't like the We're circus? We're selling the out of it. I know. That's why I don't want to. Say I don't know that. if I've ever been to a circus. I've I think, been to many. I think I'm obviously aware of the circus in popular culture. Peru, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a circus. They have a circus college in that's Peru. That's cool. Miami County. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's oh, called yeah. Circus Maximus. Yeah. 
Yeah. Rome. Huh. Okay. Yep. So he ran away, joined the circus, and because he was especially small, he be well, I mean, he was also like nine years old. So I guess yeah, maybe he was regular normal, height for normal size. Yeah. He was a normal size nine year old. He became the top mounter in the pyramid of acrobats. Okay, so what does that mean? I know what it means. He's so, the guy who runs all the way up to the top as the apex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Yolo, Yolo, like in Price is Right. Yeah, the, the, oh, the yeah. climber. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. This is okay. one of my favorite ones. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Well, how did that song go? That's not how it goes. I, I think just like that. Okay, I, I don't know. I think it won't. Just it sounded like pretty that. good. Remember yeah. that kid they found in Walmart? That, what? Remember that Sorry, kid what? that was discovered in Walmart because he was a yodeler? He was like yodeling. Oh, oh. Yes. I thought yeah, you yeah, meant yeah. there was a lost it. child in Walmart. That <laughs> yeah, it was found. like which what yeah. what day this yeah. week? That kid's name about? was like uh, gosh, like Morgan it? or. Uh, Wallen. Wallen. It was Morgan Wallen. <laughs> it's Morgan Wallen. Yep. Yep. The Walmart yoder. <laughs> but you're right. He's like, my baby. And people were like, that kid's going to be a star. Yeah. yeah. For and six he, months, he was. Yeah. But I thought like, he put out an album and he, he, he Oh, he did. He yeah. sang at Coachella. Months. Yeah. He sang at Coachella. They brought him out at Coachella to sing yeah. a song, and the place went nuts. Look yeah. it up. And Burning Man. Might have been. That would have been funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he became the top mounter in the Pyramid of Acrobats. Okay. <clears throat> and he had other like variety of entertainment related gigs in yeah. the next few years. He was like a, a child actor at the Tivoli Opera House in San Francisco. Tivoli, yeah. Uh-huh. The Tivoli. Yep. But he lost his job when his voice started to change. Oh, classic. The first Tivoli uh, is the oldest amusement park in the world, and it is in the heart of Copenhagen, Denmark. Oh. And I've been there, and it is really freaking cool. Huh? What is cool about it? The fact that you're in, like, old Europe, and you're riding these old cool rides. That It's not like, hey, let's go ride the roller coaster, but they do have one of those. But it's just the fact that it's the world's oldest still active. the same type of people working them? No, Does it's different. Work, the it's, rides here, it's the, different. The, There's like, like listen to Limp Biscuit. No, like, no, they have real gypsies there like, that are running it. <laughs> it's like surrounded by ponds and there's koi and there's tulips. And it's like you're walking in just this weird and fantasy land. Yeah. And it's yeah. like they have a Ferris wheel. It's like everything is smaller. Like it's kind of a smaller scale Ferris wheel where it's not like you're crazy high up, but it's just like what they would have had as entertainment. Like, that entertainment would have been mind-blowing back in the day. They have that same thing in Holland, Michigan. Yes, they do have they that. They do. It's like a little amusement uh-huh. park, and it has yeah. windmills, and you're in a little Dutch town, yeah. and it's not great. <laughs> we are from <laughs> Holland. Isn't that Isn't weird? Isn't that weird? <laughs> watch, watch Austin Powers 3 again. No. And, uh, I don't think I will. It's not if a, you're not... A, it's just funny. I'm putting it in the Greatest Showman bucket. I'm I not think watching you it. No, oh, you, need to watch, oh, you need to you watch would, Greatest you would Showman. Like the, you you would as like, a fan of the circus. Here's the thing, though. Russ and I are similar in this. The more we tell him he should watch it, he yeah. won't. So yeah. stop. Yeah. There's cool, like, legitimate. The, I'm, I'm the same way as Russ when it comes to that. It's the yeah. more somebody. Russ knows this now. Like, yeah. Russ knows not to suggest things Anything. to me because I'm like, no. Nope. Nope, not now. <laughs> yep. I was actually thinking about watching <laughs> that tomorrow, but I'm not going to now. There's a bearded lady in it, Russ. Is there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a bearded lady in my story, I believe, as well. Oh, go on. After he left the, how'd you pronounce it? The opera Tivoli. House? Tivoli. Tivoli. Yep. He became a rough rider with the Buffalo Bill show. Shut up. Yeah, in 1894. So he went to America? 
He was in America. The Buffalo no, Bill Tivoli's Show. In, no, where was, was the Tivoli Opera House that was in named San after mine in Copenhagen in San Francisco? Oh. Yeah. 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 Then so he goes, the Wild Bill Hillcock show. Was Wild Bill Hillcock like... Hickok. Bill. What did I say? Hillcock. Hickok. <laughs> it's a different kind of guy. It's a different, yeah. It's a different yeah. kind of guy. It's, it's a different area entirely. Anyway, but Wild Bill was... Was he a legit like Wild West guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of oh, like yeah. an There's Amy Oakley-like character, though, yeah. that was like yes. such a good sharpshooter that no, they're like, we can make legit. money off He you. was a sheriff, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, it and wasn't trying to make money off He's a he dead man's hand. Have you heard that story? No. So in poker, if you get aces and eights, like a full house with aces and eights, they call it a dead man's hand because Wild Bill Hickok always had a rule where he'd never sit with his back to the door for okay. obvious reasons. And then the one time... He did, supposedly. He got this full house, aces and eights, and someone come in and shot him in the back. Huh. So it's called the Dead Man's Hand. Dead Man's Hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Deadwood. Which like one the, is he? He's Wild Bill Hickok. No, oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of um, Tombstone. <laughs> My bad. No, yeah. No, the, My bad. The HBO show Deadwood, which okay. is fantastic. Yeah. The, Annie Oakley's... Oh, no. It, uh, maybe I think so. Annie. I think you yeah. said Annie Oakley. Yeah, she's the, like... Rough and tumble. What it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That whole Wild West thing, like that era. I need to Super I get all cool. these characters, yeah. yeah, disconnected. But I feel like it was a really cool part of our history. Go on, Russ. So at Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, he uh-huh. was not only a rough rider, but he also became a actor and producer of the show. Okay, he was just in the show, like. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Stop. Drop. <laughs> shut them down. Open up. No shop. Job. Okay, I'm catching it. Oh. Oh. No. I forget who we're talking about. No. What's his name? Gumperts. Gumperts. That's, how, Gumperts. that's how rough Gumperts roll. <laughs> Samuel Gumperts. It's easy. Gumperts. Gumperts? Gumperts. G-U-M-P-E-R-T-Z. It's a hard T. Yeah, Gumperts. Gumperts. So after he left Wild Bill Hickok's show, he started operating in like the vaudeville type of... Slapstick. Slapstick. Yeah, like the touring vaudeville acts. Giant hooks. So he gave Florin Ziegfeld their first job. He was the manager, like Ziegfeld's Follies. Sure. He was their first manager. Huh, interesting. I say there because I don't know if Florence was a man or a woman. Okay. And he was Harry Houdini's first manager. What? Wow. Yeah. A young Harry Houdini. And he was also still pretty young at this point. He's like, your thing, kid. I got it. Yeah. You're gonna be I'm going to throw you in a box. Up. We're going to throw you in a river. You yeah. got to get out of it. Yeah. So How do I do that? Shut up. Don't ask me. Figure questions. it out. So at this point, it's like the early 1900s. Okay. So he must be in his mid-30s. And... A, a really big thing at the time were ethnographic sideshows. Okay. What? I have a feeling I know where this is headed. Yeah. So there was a lot of world fairs that were yeah. world fairs yeah. that were happening around the country at that time. And some of the biggest attractions that people went to were the people zoos. Yeah. 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 Where they would get. Because the like, 1904 uh-huh. St. Louis, they had the aborigine or the pygmy. Yeah. Pygmies, aboriginals. Yeah. 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 Yep. After managing Harry Houdini, he decided to go all in on these like ethno 
what did I call them? Ethnographic sideshows. Okay. Is what he called them. And Old he move. started. It's very niche. Yeah. He started touring the world basically and recruiting people for these sideshows. Like he'd go to Borneo and recruit, basically telling them that, you know, if you come back with me, I will pay you a good amount of money and yep. then you'd be there for a year and then come back to your family. Uh, wow. After he had done that and kind of toured around with these sideshows, he settled in Coney Island, Coney Island, New York. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. At the time. Did he in, discover Wu-Tang? Probably. Okay. I mean, he was a manager. He Could might have been, been Wu-Tang's yeah. first Could manager. Have been. Yeah. Could have been. So after he had settled in Coney Island, at the time, there was an amusement park called Luna, which was like the biggest amusement park in, I think, I imagine the world at that okay. point. And it was getting all the the money and all the attractions. So what the politicians of New York and land developers had decided to do is to build a place called Dreamland Hmm. to rival this Luna theme park. They wanted this like huge amusement park on Coney Island to be, I think they spent 10 times more building this place Mm -hmm. to build dreamland they made samuel gumpert's the operations director of it like the talent guy like he he would bring all the talent freak show yeah (laughs) that's exactly what it was (laughs) dreamland is also the name of uh area 51 john mayer oh is what it is sounds Uh, like a john mayer album that is dreamland yeah it's weird yeah area 51 known as dreamland and then he just shreds on the guitar mm-hmm. so in dreamland he created i mean dozens and dozens of different exhibits one of them was something called lilliputia okay what do you think lilliputia is just, if you look at your like Jonathan milk of Swift, magnesium little people yeah yeah, yeah. so dwarves, way off if you will yes i mean they so when we talk like historical stuff how how do I handle terms that are no longer like I know the big words not to say, but sure. there's other ones. Just say them. Midget City. They called it Midget City. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what they called it. Yeah, sure. They called it Midget City. And it was one of the most popular attractions at the Dreamland Amusement Park at Coney Island. <laughs> Take me down to the Midget <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as Lilliputia, uh, which I'm going to refer to it as from here on out. Lilliputia is a little bit more of a, a euphemism there. Yeah. 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 Because of Gulliver's Travels. Midget Town? Yeah. They call it Midget City. Midget City. Yeah. You got to get that right. Because you of what? You know where you are? Which, which you impl- in the jungle, baby. Which implies that there is a mayor of. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, there City. is a mayor. I mean,. So Lilliputia was an experimental community built in proportional scale to the residents of a – so they built a city that was a uh, smaller version of a 15th century Nuremberg, Germany. Oh, wow. That's what they replicated. It was a replica of Nuremberg. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Residents of the community consisted of 300 little people – Recruited from the four corners of the continent. Most came from various world's fairs, traveling circuses, and freak shows. And this was a, uh, a an exhibit, a standing exhibit. Oh, yeah. That was, was a legitimate city. Yes. I mean, 
when I say legitimate city, the community had its own parliament, good beach, theater, stables with small ponies. Well, yeah, little Sebastian, a little Sebastian, <laughs> little chariot races, rip, <laughs> a laundry, naturally, yeah. Okay. A fire department. Which is like tiny washing machines. Yeah. 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 Like they they still had to wait just as long to do their laundry (laughs) because the laundry machines were proportionate. Oh, yeah. I guess they wouldn't have big washing machines for. No. You can't do the whole city's laundry at once. No, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a water supply. Forever to fold. Yeah. (laughs) And they had a fire department. And this fire department, as part of the show, they would put out fires. On an hourly basis, like they would, they would stage <laughs> oh, fires. So many fires. So the little they would stage fires so that the Lilliputian fire department could roll out in their little Lilliputian. We fire. didn't stage the fire. It was always burning for little people to put it out. <laughs> the LFD, the Lilliputian Fire Department. Yeah, or the MCFD. Yep. The MCFT, I think, is probably what it was called. It sounds better. United. Do they have a soccer team? (laughs) Probably. But they they had like MCFC. 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 Yeah. They had, you know, small furniture, houses, they had little vehicles that they would drive around. Naturally. Like little fire trucks. They had their own police department as well as a beach with mini lifeguards. (laughs) And all this time, this Samuel Gumpert's guy is just raking in the cash yeah yeah, he's raking in the cash but okay so this samuel gumpert's guy when they and everything that i looked up when they interviewed the people that he exploited they were like he actually like paid them out and tried to they were like yeah we have a whole city it's great well he was like like he was raised he was raised in the circus and at the time, like a lot of these people that were in freak shows had no other way. I feel like this could really turn sideways on me, <laughs> but I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. they really had no other way of like earning a living. Yeah. So that's not your fault, Russ. I know, but I could, <laughs> I could be wrong. Like I well, could be wrong. I've never been. Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, there was the Lilliputia and the, a lot of other exhibits. One of them was the. Igorot Village. So the Igorot. I-G-O-R-O-T. Oh, these are dumb people. No. Igorot. Igorot. So oh, humpbacks? Uh, no. What hump? Filipinos. What? So at the time, this was like William Howard Taft time, right? So okay. we were trying to gain control of the Philippines. And we were trying to <clears throat> kind of get the word out that these people can't rule themselves that they aren't like taft was pushing it that these people can't rule themselves so we need to you know take care of them so as kind of a it's almost as a marketing thing i think this exhibit was propaganda he went to where the philippines are and he brought back like 111 um filipinos filipinos no i'm sorry 1,300 Filipinos from a dozen tribes wow. were put on display at the St. Louis World's Fair. Yeah, 1904. Yep, in little replicas wow. of their home village. And in the words of William Howard Taft, they were not ready to govern themselves. So he took a 100 or so of the Filipinos that were at the 
World's Fair, and he built them a village in Coney Island. They made like a whole like replica village of the Philippines for uh-huh. the 1904 World's Fair. Well, it was the Olympics as well. Yeah. And like you could just go see, and then they would do like contests. Yeah. To prove that like the white race was better. But they wouldn't tell the Filipinos what was going on with the contest. Uh-huh. So they just line them up for like a hundred meter dash and then shoot the gun. And everybody at the line would like dive down like, oh, gosh, mm, I'm getting yeah. shot at. Yeah. And they were like, oh, see, they're so stupid. They don't even know they're supposed to start wow. racing yet. Wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's absolutely terrible. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they would get to terrible. like the finish line and they would have the tape. But they were so like subservient. They didn't think they were allowed to break the tape. Oh, so they would get to the end of the race and just stop and be like. I'm not breaking wow, man. the white guy's tape that brought me here from my island. Wow. I'm afraid to get in trouble. They put them in an exhibit. They, this tribe that they had pulled these people from were notorious headhunters. And on special occasions, they would eat dog. Okay. Right? So when they brought them to the exhibit, they really played up that oh, yeah. part of it. And they, they were like, dogs. come see yeah. the headhunters. That, you know, the savages that eat dog, which they would do rarely just on like special occasions. But um, they really wanted to play up that aspect. So what they would do is go to the local pound and get dogs, (laughs) kill them, chop them up and then have the people eat them in front of the the tourists that walked by on a daily basis. Every day they would do that. So Dreamland, shortly after this, burned to the ground because it was Good. a terrible, terrible place. Good. Was it yeah. the, the, no. the fire department? Yeah, the fire department. They didn't. tried to help. So <laughs> it was in 1911. It's true. It's true. They tried to help. Wait, is this real? It's real. Guys, this so, one's real. It was. We've but, trained for this. The reason... That Dreamland burned to the ground, other than it was terrible. Um, karma. And it, it, karma, other than yeah. karma, yeah. was they had this ride there called like the Gateway to Hell. Okay. And it was a very popular ride where people would go on a boat and you could, like, they were surrounded by the other people that were either waiting in line or just wanted to watch the ride. And this boat would go into like a whirlpool. Um, like a whirlpool. And then disappear below the surface of the whirlpool. And people like they were saying, well, you know, this is what happens. This is the gateway to hell. And it had hundreds of thousands of like light bulbs. Okay. This was still fairly near near, water. Near near water. (laughs) I mean, the whole place. It's one big safety hazard. Anyway, that's what started the fire. This gateway to hell ride burned down dreamland. And they called, like, the New York Fire Department to come and put it out. But They were like, they, you got your own people. They Well, the midget. Hmm. <laughs> the, li- the, li- the, the Lilliputian Fire Department tried. They tried to help put <laughs> out like, the fire. Our tiny but buckets aren't working. <laughs> they're little hoses. They just had a garden hose. <laughs> they did. I mean, this is a real thing. And it's... Uh, I appreciate if you wouldn't laugh at this because it's a real tragedy. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. My bad, Russ. Yeah, so it burned to the ground. What Samuel uh, Gompertz. Gompertz did after that was because all of these kind of sideshow people, I mean, as well as the Lilliputians and the 
the it's funny that they're Lilliputians. Like oh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm picturing that word as L I L Putians. It is. They're like Lilliputians. Lil, Lilliputians. Yeah. yeah. Like Lil I'm Lilliputian. Well, yeah. it's from they have face tattoos. Yeah, they were like what was that? Gulliver's Travel. Who did Gulliver's yeah. Travels? Jonathan Swift. Yeah. Robert Louis Stevenson. It was Jonathan Swift. Mark Twain. Yeah. Mark Antony. Mark Twain. Uh, He set up this complete sideshow community outside of the space where Dreamland used to be because Mm. these people didn't have anywhere else to go. Not Mm. the Filipino people. They were eventually repatriated back into... Yeah, because um, one of the like, well, one of the Filipino guys, like they like filed his teeth down. Yeah, Gosh, no, shaggers. that was Borneo. So oh, there geez. was another tribe in Borneo, and yeah. a lot of those, also that tribe where the people put the plates in their lips. Oh, you yeah. know that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was another yeah. group that they had brought over as really for, like, into, a like heavy zoo. metal music. And- but they were saying a lot of like the Borneo ones. A lot of the men ended up marrying women here, and then the wives went back to Borneo. Anyway. Uh, Get your plates out of here. Built this big sideshow community in Coney Island that lasted like another few decades, like his own little sideshow amusement park. And then that closed down and he became the general manager of Ringling Brothers and (laughs) Barnum and Bailey Circus. He's the one that got Ringling and Barnum to come together. Wow. Uh This is the greatest show. Did we mention that he... Hugh this Jackman the in The Greatest Showman, Showman uh-huh. plays Phineas Barnum, by the yeah. way. Does that does yeah. that sweeten the deal for you I'm to see I'm pretty sure it? he knew Gumpert's. In his big sideshow thing, he started the careers of like Zip the Pinhead and the Bearded Lady, Violetta the Limbless Woman. Wow. The Four-Legged Woman. Do you know about the Four-Legged Woman? What? Yes. I've no. seen it. It's wild. It is. I so don't. It was a woman who had a twin that didn't like develop all the way so, so she's she had, just like the she had the, like the two legs street fighter two legs between the two legs mm-hmm. but the second set of two legs were kind of coming off her hips right yeah but they both had their own reproductive system and they said that when she because oh. she had children and they were saying that the so she had four kids and they were saying Three children were born from one set of organs, or five. Oh. Three set of, were born from one Jeez. set of organs and two from the other. Oh, so man. did she have multiple? Yeah. Two. I mean. She had two, two of them. She had two of them. You can Four say legs, vagina blade. Two of them. Uh, but yeah, so then he ended up running Barnum that, Bailey Circus. We're going to take a break. She we'll be right like back. She had just a pair of legs just <laughs> dangling there. Have you ever opened your pantry and wondered, what am I going to do with these 32 half-used Yankee candles in here? Listen, home decorating can be hard, especially when you've got a thousand other things going on. You need the Jealous Neighbor. My sister Heather started the Jealous Neighbor to help homeowners use the furniture and decor they already have in their home, add to it on a budget, and discover the home they've always wanted. Whether you need help just sprucing up your home's entryway or you need your entire first floor redecorated, go to facebook.com slash thejealousneighbor to schedule your consultation with my sister Heather. She will guide you through an hour consultation in person or virtually, help you assess the furniture and decor you already have in your home, and give you a plan to take your home from bow to wow. Get an hour of redecorating with Heather free when you mention that you heard about The Jealous Neighbor on the Presequential Podcast. Go to facebook.com slash The Jealous Neighbor today. Welcome back. Blaine Zimmerman has the floor now. Blaine. Ossip Samolevich. Ossip? Yeah, Ossip. That Some, one I feel like. Ossip Samolevich? 
S A M O I L O V I C H. Samoyevich. That sounds right. Bernstein. Oh. Was born in the Ukraine. Wait, was the other one his middle name? Yeah. So uh, Bernstein, Asa Bernstein, okay. was born in the Ukraine on September 20th, 1882. Oh, okay. To a wealthy Jewish family, he earned a doctorate in law from Heidelberg University in 1906. Yeah, whoa. And then became a financial lawyer. Okay. But this he, really checks out with the stereotype. <laughs> in what way, Russ? You know. A financial law European Jewish banker yeah okay he was an incredibly accomplished chess player oh, oh all right okay uh, he had multiple chess championships in the early 1900s including the Moscow City Championship in 1911 you're not messing around when you're yeah. talking Russian chess yeah Moscow 1911 so this is shortly before I, I would assume it was on a square Bolshevik revolution somewhere yeah. okay huh, that's funny um, it's not a black or White square, it's a red square. It's a red, well, yeah, true. He amassed considerable wealth as a businessman, but lost his entire fortune in the Bolshevik Revolution. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. So in 1918, 36-year-old Bernstein was arrested in Odessa, Ukraine. Okay. By the Bolshevik secret police, whose Mm. purpose was to investigate and punish counter-revolutionary crimes. Okay. Sure. He was sentenced to death by a firing squad for serving as a legal advisor to the banking industry. The day of his execution, a commanding officer in the prison asked to see a list of prisoner names and recognize Bernstein's name because he was a chess enthusiast. Hmm. All right. He confronted Bernstein and was like, hey, are you this dude? Bernstein's like, yeah. And he was like, all right, play me in a game of chess. If you win... You'll go free. Oh. But if I win, you go back in the firing line, you get shot with everybody else. Wow. He was wow. already like, he was standing in the firing line looking at the dudes with the guns when the guy pulled him out of the line. He beats Cigarette the guy in, in like five minutes. Oh, okay. Yes. He, he wins. Nice. So he goes free and he leaves on a British ship and he moves to Paris. Wait, so the Bolshevik Revolution. Mm-hmm. It was the That's Bolsheviks. how Lenin ended up, right? We got the Bolshevik Revolution, yeah. where they like occupied government buildings, Correct. and then that's when you got Lenin. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was out by with the monarchy. <laughs> by B Y E comma Lenin. <laughs> yeah, by Lenin. By Lenin. Yeah, they. Uh, what was that? Catherine the Great. They overtook. Or no, it was. Uh, no. It was Tsar Nicholas. Yeah, right? I think yeah. so. Well, that's the. Uh, what's her name? Anna. Uh, um, Jolly old uh, the daughter who yeah. they think might have gotten away. Yeah. Uh, Anastasia. Anastasia. Oh, from yeah. what? Tsar uh, Nicholas II. Yeah. Anastasia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Wasn't that Balco? Balto? <laughs> you are you are yeah. in this you are the in the correct area yeah. of Disney vault classics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But she had this power to like freeze things. Correct. <laughs> in real life too. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't let it go. Yeah. He made another fortune that was lost to the Great Depression. And Wait, he, where did he travel to? Paris. Paris. So he's in France at the time, but the Great Depression wasn't just an American problem. It was huh. worldwide yeah. depression. His third fortune he earned, he lost due to the Nazi invasion of France in 1940. Okay. <sighs> this guy can't catch a break. Yeah. So, or, I mean, he kind of did. But yeah. well, if you remember, Jewish person 
in France, 1940, not safe. Sure. So he fled to Spain what? and he settled in Barcelona. Okay. Yeah, he's all over the place. Barcelona. He's just being run out of everywhere. So during World War II, he like plays friendly games of chess, like okay. competitive ones, but they're like not competition because it's World War II and like all that stuff, like whatever. But where is he? P- okay. Oh, because he was safe in Barcelona. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Safe in Barcelona sounds like the name of a uh, like a Hemingway novel. Yeah, or a Woody Allen movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or both. I would argue that there's zero chance Hemingway would ever write a novel called Safe in. Like he was kind of the exact yeah. opposite of that. Yeah. yeah. So goes back to competitive chess in 1946. He plays in a 1948 cable match of New York versus Paris. That's hmm. like over telegraph, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, so players okay. in New York have a, a chess set. Sure. Players in Paris have a chess set. They like... Knight to G2. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool. And they probably have two boards where, yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 1950, when the World Chess Federation introduced official titles for the first time, he oh. was awarded the title of International Grandmaster. Grandmaster. Wow. That's so cool. So he's like... of. In all of chess oh, history, wow. he's one of the very first grandmasters. Wow. Cool. That's really cool. That's really cool. Have you ever seen people play chess without a chessboard? Dude, like, no. I don't get it. I, they, don't, I don't. But in Queen's they, Gambit, they do it in part of the show, and that's pretty cool. I mean, where they're just they driving can, and they just They play. will just sit across from each other, and they both have the the board in their head, and they will say, knight to g2, pawn to h3, and then... Boom, boom, it's, boom, boom. There's no chessboard. They just both have it, and they know. It's crazy. I was excited about this specific story because Russ is the person that taught me how to play chess. Yeah, yeah, I love chess. And I know Russ really loves playing chess. I like playing chess. I'm still, like, what, five years in? So, yeah. like, I'm not good. And I've tried to, like, read the stuff about, like, oh, do boring. these certain moves. Yeah. And, do, and, like, I can't do it in the moment. I'm like, no, nah, I want to... I want to take care of this yep. and do yeah. this. And then it ends up putting you in a terrible position. So I have this philosophy on chess that I think might actually work. Like, so when people are grandmasters or they really know chess, there's like this book of moves that you yeah. can basically memorize. So when you get to a certain level, two people playing chess after like the third move, they'll be like that ah, it's over. And they'll start over because they know wow. that yeah. what each person is going to do and how to counter it my theory is you don't read that book or any <laughs> books about chess i call it drunken chess yeah, yeah. this like, is my philosophy of yeah. parenting yeah don't read any books <laughs> <laughs> but like, like you see like um like drunken master like that drunken kung fu style yes it's where they're kind of like they're doing everything on purpose but they're kind of falling all over the place because the other person doesn't know how to get an angle on yeah. you then, right? Yeah. So if you are playing chess and you don't know any of the established moves, then they don't know how to predict what you're going to do next. And hmm. you can beat people that are much higher rated than you are because you're they don't know how to predict what you're doing. There's also a lot of parallels to that like Wu Tang and yeah. like their whole like philosophy because like they did their whole thing around like Shaolin and stuff like that. I've been watching the show about them on Hulu, and mm. it's fantastic. But there's a lot of episodes where he goes back to the park to play chess with this one guy. Oh. Huh. 
And I was like, oh, that does make sense. There are a lot of parallels between what he's trying to do because nobody at the time had ever done what Wu-Tang did. Yeah. Of, like, come in, have an entire group. Like, that's not important. I miss the Wu-Tang really clan cool. growing up. I just, I, I, they were no part of my musical lexicon at all. So, oh, dude, I freaking, I freaking. I didn't grow up I with them at all. Great, have I ever told the layover story on the podcast? Nope, do it. Okay, so... I'm coming back from, I did my last two weeks of officer candidate school in, in uh, Seattle. Okay. I think at the time there were 14 of us from Indiana that were finishing the school. We get to the airport bar. We have a spot. We've got seats for everybody. And then everybody else shows up like 15 minutes later. And they're like, hey, that's crazy. They changed our flights. Yeah, our flight is like an hour later. And we're now flying through to Minneapolis because it's going to be delayed. So we get on our flight. We sit on the tarmac for like 45 minutes. Mm. So we land in Minneapolis. So I threw my carry-on to Steve, and I was like, I will sprint to our flight because it's bored. Like it, the doors are closing in three minutes. Yeah, It's he's okay. Like, I'm in the Hall of Fame. He's like, okay, cool. Right. One day. Okay. I'm running up to the gate. And they're closing the door. And I know, like, once that door's closed, there's nothing you do about yeah. it. I'm like, oh, my God. So I get up to the lady, and I'm like, hey, please. I'm like, I'm yelling as she's closing the door. Don't close the door. Don't close the door. We're here. She comes up to the thing, like, very calmly. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. The boarding's already closed. And I was like, I was yelling at you just not close the door. Like flight was super delayed and she was like, okay, give me your name. And I did. And she looked up and she goes, Oh, you were on the Seattle flight. Yeah. And she was like, we didn't think there was any chance you'd get here. So we just closed the doors. And she's like, the earliest time I can get you out is 10 AM tomorrow. It's like 4 PM. Okay. So I'm like, screw it. Let's go out. Yeah. Book a hotel, downtown Minneapolis. And we're taking, like, the train from the airport to the hotel. And as we're driving by the Viking Stadium, there's all the X Games stuff. Oh. And the X Games are in town. And we're like, we go out on the street, and there's a dude on a bike rickshaw. And he's like, do you want to ride? And we're like, actually, yeah, we'll pay you (laughs) if you just take us, like, give us a good recommendation for dinner. So jump in, driving us over there. And he's like, are you guys in town for the Wu-Tang concert? And I was like, what? (laughs) He was like, yeah, Wu-Tang's playing tonight, the main concert for the X Games. Wow. And I was like, all right, so drop us off at this restaurant. Go try to find tickets. And here's my phone number. Tell me what you can find tickets for, like, scalped-wise. He texts me back and he's like, I found a dude that's willing to part with three tickets for 150 bucks. Whoa. And I'm like, 50 bucks a piece? Done. Wow. Come back to the bar. I'll buy you a beer for doing it. Sure. And he comes back. I give him the cash. I buy him a beer. He drives us to the concert. We got to see Wu Tang on a layover in Minneapolis. And Old Dirty Bastard's son was taking the place of ODB looks and sounds exactly like it. Mm. It was one of the most amazing nights of my it's the life. the best, Man. like, missed flight of your life. Oh, yeah. Seriously. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. just rollerblades everywhere. It, why? The X Games. Oh. Um. <laughs> sure. I don't even know if those are in the X Games. Back so, to Asip. In 1954, <laughs> oh, at yeah. the age of 72, he ties for second in a tournament in Montevideo, Uruguay. Mm-hmm. 
The guy he tied with, Miguel Najdorf, uh, protested before the tournament that it was unfair to play such an aged opponent. And he became so confident of victory, he convinced the tournament organizers to double the first place prize money. Oh, wow. And reduce everyone else's prize. Wow. Which gloriously backfired when Bernstein beat him in 37 moves using the old Indian defense. Oh, sure. Do you know what that is? Classic. Like, I assumed you were going to know what that was until you just talked about how you don't. Yeah, I have no idea what the old Indian defense is. Yeah, whatever that was, it worked. And then he passed away in a sanatorium in the French Pyrenees in 1962 at the age of 80. That's quite a life. I mean, he survived a firing squad. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. He survived on chess. Yeah. Yeah, that's Because he was good at chess. And he was the first grandmaster. He was, yeah, he was one of the first grandmasters, yeah. It's a good story. That's really, really cool. Ossip Bernstein. Bernstein. Yeah. There you go. He's not a bear. Or an optometrist. Or Ossip. an American oh, yeah. composer. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, we're going to be right back after this short break. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Welcome back from the break. It is time for Ryan to tell us a story. Thank you, producer Russ. I'm now going to tell you the story of a one-armed Civil War veteran who all of the American Southwest has to thank for their drinking water. I like it. Okay. One-armed. People in Las Vegas are drinking water because of this guy. Oh. Well... Okay. Y'all ready for this? Your last, I just, I, I will have to say, like, you're really pigeonholing yourself into Revolutionary War and Civil War. That's like, on all brand. Your stories it's on this brand. season. Like, yeah, it's fine. That's, that's, that's the Gene Shepard. He wasn't that's true. Civil War. North Sentinel Island. North Sentinel Island. Okay. I just, I mean, I'm just saying, I have ranged from 104 AD. I go deep. I go to yeah. Pittsburgh, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, I mean, true. I go from monkey <laughs> to sideshow. So. It's on brand. I feel like we're all standing in our lanes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're good. John Wesley Powell. John Wesley. John Wesley Powell. Born March twenty-fourth, eighteen thirty-four. He was born in New York. His dad was a preacher. Uh, they moved all over. Uh, Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which lyrically does not make sense at all. Why? Just say where dreams are made of. Oh. Made of what? I love the things that you like hold on to. I hate it. Every like, time I hear that song, can you it count me. me in? Can you count me in? <laughs> what was that? That showed up in an episode where it was like, uh, oh, can you swear me in? Yeah, it was like right. some inauguration ceremony. Yeah. Calvin um, Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Right. With his dad. Yeah. Sure. The middle of the night. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because right, Harding died. In Vermont. So when this 
kid uh, when when John Wesley Powell eventually settled in Illinois. So they moved from New York all the way to Illinois because his dad was a kind of uh, preacher. preacher who went everywhere. This is wild. So he spent four months walking across Wisconsin at the age of, let's say, how old would he have been? 21? Oh. Spent four months walking across Wisconsin. Why? I don't know. He wanted to find every spotted cow. Well, a year later, it got him to St. Anthony, Minnesota, where I believe is where the Mississippi River starts. Could be wrong on that. Okay. But he rode the entire Mississippi River from Minnesota all the way to the Gulf. So this is a man after my own heart. Okay. This guy is 22 at this time. Yeah. Then the next year... He what wrote, did he ride it on? Like a, a raft. With it said he rode, so I don't know. Like Some a, sort of Tom and yeah, his wooden friend wooden vessel. Jim. Like a fish, like a big fish. Mm-hmm. You know, he rode oh, a yeah, large big fish. fish. Like a, yeah. He rode then down the Ohio River the next year from Pittsburgh to the Mississippi, then north to St. Louis. No, how did he go north on the Mississippi? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. But that's no, I'm saying it like that's incredible Maybe strength. Maybe tra- yeah. traveling north to reach St. Louis. Maybe he got off and then made his way to St. Louis oh, by land. He got off already. Yeah, he did. The <laughs> next year, so this is two years after rowing the Mississippi River, and then one year after There's no rowing, rowing the Ohio. If you're going the way of the current, you just ride it. You're not rowing. I thought we said he was riding a catfish or something. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we already talked about I this. saw a guy pull a catfish out of Geist Reservoir today that had to be like four feet long. This catfish was massive, and his family was cheering him on. <laughs> and it was so We started cheering him and on. And then, like, that's his current Bumble picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> After that, he then went down the Illinois River, then up the Mississippi and the Des Moines River to How do you Central go up Iowa. the Mississippi? I don't understand. I don't know, Blaine. Against I don't the know. current. I yeah, I mean that's incre- that's exhausting. This guy is a lover of the outdoors, and he's a he's nerd. a lover. He's a nerd. Yeah, um, sure. He's a big he nerd. he's he was elected. How's he financing all of it? Don't know. That's a good question. I guess you just pluck your own fish out of the river. Yep. Maybe yeah. it was kind of a right. kind of a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer kind of thing. Maybe it was on one of those steam boats. Boats. The, oh, Mark that's when you have Walt. And that point, it's not an accomplishment. Somebody else is driving the boat. For Did you. we talk about Mark Twain? How his name was Mark Twain, and that was a sailing term or yeah. a, what? A, mark, a river term? It's how high the when you mark water Twain. Is. To mark Twain is to oh, tell yeah. them where you are at the uh, the water level, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the water level, whether it's passable yeah. or not. He wrote uh, Ulysses S. Grant's biography, autobiography. No, Ulysses S. Grant would have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he like he wrote some stuff down. Mark Twain's the one that like got it produced, and I think like, he was the one who pushed him to do it. But he like financed it. it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, financed yeah, it, it, and he. I would assume he, he probably yeah. had a hand in he punched the pros. He studied at Illinois College, which That's would good. become Wheaton College and Oberlin College. Oh. <laughs> there it is. Lane's fundamental. No, he Wheaton, taught. That's Reagan, right? No, that's Eureka. Was Reagan? Yeah. Oh, who's Wheaton? Uh, Will, yeah, he was he was <laughs> he was Doctor Crusher's son on the Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, oh, I don't Wesley College. Yeah, anyway, uh, he's studying Ober, Ober Miller. He Oberlin. Oberlin. Um, he's a Midwest guy. This guy. It sounds like it. I'm gonna walk across Wisconsin, <laughs> go down the Mississippi. He is studying the natural sciences. Civil War breaks out, 
So he says, I might as well shift my study of the natural sciences to military science and engineering. Oh. You know, war is coming. I'm a he's a northern guy, so he's Sound obviously like going war is to be, here. Yeah, war is war is approaching. He enlists in Illinois in 1861. He then becomes a cartographer, a topographer, and military yeah. engineer. He makes maps. He makes maps. Yeah. He's Got a nerd. It. Also, at the Battle of Shiloh, he is, I think he's a captain at this point. Yeah, he's a light artillery captain. Okay. Second Illinois, Battery F, whatever that means. Sure. Giving, he's raising his arm to give the order to fire when yeah. a bullet blows through his arm and he Ooh. loses his arm and how are they gonna fire what do we do what do we do what do we do i don't know what to do <laughs> what is it? what should we do <laughs> the rest of his life he suffered like nerve pain because i mean uh, obviously, phantom limb syndrome yes yeah, that is that's correct. a real thing that is a real deal he fought at the siege of Vicksburg while he was in trenches in Vicksburg. He was studying rocks. Like this dude was a nerd. Like he was not meant to be a soldier. This rock. Though he he survived the war. Obviously, he was a brevet lieutenant colonel by the end of the war, but he called himself major. It then starts. So that to was teach. probably what his actual rank was. Correct. Because the brevet yeah. is like a battlefield game. Yeah. He leaves the war. He goes to teach geology at Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, Which is what now? I think it might still be Illinois Wesleyan. That's boring. Yeah. yeah. Bloomington, Illinois. Founded nope. in 1850. Bloomington, Illinois. That's uh, Bradley. There could be other or universities Illinois. in the same city. No, nope, there's only one in every city. Everybody knows that. There's <laughs> <laughs> only one. Yeah. Oh, Wesleyan Crusher. What? Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Wesleyan. Wesley. John Wesley. Yeah. John Wesley Powell. Oh, okay. I get it now. John Wesley would have been that he founded the Wesleyan denomination. Doesn't uh, matter. Dang, there, unrelated. There are actually two universities in Bloomington, Illinois. Yeah. Boom. I that, that doesn't make any sense. I've Was been it to Illinois? Illinois State and uh, Illinois Wesleyan. I is it Illinois State? There might be Southern Illinois. No, Southern Illinois. Is I think it's Car- Illinois. Yeah, State. no, it's Illinois State. Illinois I State. Said, yeah. Bradley is in a different town. But yeah, no, I've been to Bloomington, Illinois. It's not it's not a two college town. Huh. I've sung matter. there and I remember uh Oh, I'm sure you have. I've sung there. It was a small theater, I do recall. I ran there. Yeah? You yeah, ran from we'll, here we'll to just, there? I toured around running like you toured around yes. singing. <laughs> so I've seen all these small towns in the Midwest as well. You ever been to Cape Girardeau? I have not. Didn't think so. <laughs> have you? It's in Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> It's on the Missouri-Louisiana uh, border. It's okay. A weird part of Missouri. Wait, Missouri borders Louisiana? Oh, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. yeah weird. Yeah, it's a part. It's a thing you don't think about with yeah. Missouri, but there's definitely a Cajun <laughs> part of Missouri. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense no. at all. It's weird. SEMO. <laughs> yeah, Southeast Missouri State. Oh, well, okay. The year's now 1867. The war has since passed, and Powell goes out to lead an expedition of the Rocky Mountains and the Green and Colorado Rivers. He's collecting specimens. He's going out with his wife, He's like, too. I She's bet you I can get to the end of this river. <laughs> Got to the end of the other rivers. Well, Blaine, here oh, no. we go. Yes. Two years later, in 1869, he set out to explore the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon. Okay, first of all, I read this book not knowing a thing about John Wesley Powell. You read a whole book for yeah. one of these episodes? I read it a long time ago. Oh, the name of the book, if you want to get it, 
I do recommend it. It's called Down the Great Unknown by Edward Dolnick, which maybe we can leave a link for in the in the show into notes. The Great Unknown. Into the Great Unknown. What's uh, that from? By the way, he was stationed at Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Oh, oh look at that. Nailed oh, it. Oh, hey oh. That's where he Damn was in light artillery. That's where that makes he was, sense. Yeah. So he recruits 10 men in four longboats. They're flat bottom wooden boats, basically for flat carrying bottom all these. boats. They make the rocking world go, go round. round. They have enough food for 10 months. And he sets out from Green River, Wyoming. And the book reads, if you have read, if you've read Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose, it's very much a, hey, we're going out. We don't know what we're about to find kind of read. And it's really cool because you think of the technology they're using, which is just rudimentary wooden boats going down the Colorado River. Not going to say the first person in history to do it. Four foot catfish. The not the first person. We can't say that there have not been people before him who have done what he has done. But he is the first white person, white one armed man oh, to lead an expedition. Yeah. Oh, that's not man. going in a circle. I didn't even think about the one armed yeah. rowboat. This guy is the leader, <laughs> <laughs> one armed leader of a boat. One of four boats that are going down the Colorado River to to go through the entire Grand Canyon, okay? Wow. So his wife is with him as well. They are, or I'm sorry, no, not for that expedition. I, I apologize. He basically recruits former soldiers, from veterans from the Civil War, hunters, trappers. It is a hodgepodge of, of people. There's a, a Scottish guy. There's an English guy. There's just people who basically said, I'll go. Like, absolutely. Why were wouldn't I want to French go? monkeys? <laughs> Not that we know of. There probably was. They have a long way to go when things start to go haywire. There was one guy who just quit after the first month, and then three other guys, two of whom were brothers, three months in, just basically decide it's about to get a lot worse based on the rapids that we've gone through. They've like lost a boat at this point, so they've gone from four to three. They're like, they have to get out of the water, lift everything out. Again, there's... Under 10 people left carrying boats and cargo to just cross over rocks just so they can get the water again and then go down into the great unknown. This sounds like we're going to like Donner Party territory. Dude, it's wild. All right. So the three guys, two of whom are brothers, just decide we're out. They climb up the mountain and they're never heard of again. Oh, they're never like some people think they were killed by um, the Paiute Indians or the Mormons in the nearby town that were there. The Mormons, definitely the Mormons. Mormons. Yeah, Um, (laughs) let's just let's just say it was. I mean, with the gold, they were very violent. Gold plates, gold plates. (laughs) The the story of how they went west from Pennsylvania. Yeah, very violent. Oh yeah, yeah. They he had three photographers on this expedition as well. Like this what? On this expedition. Okay, it sounded like you I said heard sex it, yeah. sex I, I heard that as well. Lonely. I thought that was another twist to <laughs> It's the lonely story. down there in the Because his wife Canyon. wasn't along. <laughs> the remaining six guys, including John Powell, make it out of the Colorado River Grand Canyon with only five days of rations left. So it was very, very close to... I mean, one shipwreck was... I mean, they did lose a boat, but they got through by the skin of their teeth, almost ran out of food, this had never been done before. So obviously his fame is growing. Now, one of the guys who was on that expedition with him, I forget his name, 
had a totally different story after this expedition that John Powell did. So John Powell then went on to become the second director of the U.S. Geological Survey under, I believe, Garfield's presidency. He goes on to publish a book based on his trip, which takes off. He's lecturing around, you know, he's going from this city to this city talking about this. This other guy... Okay. What? No, I'm excited to hear the other guy's story. This other guy, and I'm trying to find, I think, yeah... Okay, John Colton Sumner. Expedition. Yeah. John Colton (laughs) Sumner was a marksman. Like, he was one of the guys that would hunt a lot for their food. He was really good on boats. So he was one of the first guys that that John uh, chose to join him. Well, after the expedition, he traveled home to settle in Grand Grand Junction, Colorado. Oh, okay. Okay. So in May 1902, Sumner, this guy who's on the expedition, travels back to the Green River. And on May 24th, the exact date of the 33rd anniversary of the day that they launched, so 33 years to the day, he walks into a saloon, gets hammered, (laughs) leaves the saloon, goes down to the side of the river, takes out his knife. What do you think he does with his knife? Kills himself. Cuts off his arm. He cuts off his testicles. What? I mean, that makes sense. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, he already went on this expedition. He doesn't need him anymore. Jack Sumner was found the next day bloody and unconscious, taken to the nearby hospital where his wounds were successfully treated by a surgeon. He but he's, he's he was so despondent over how Powell and his story of the events took off and he was left to just die penniless. He went back home like he got paid for the trip. So you're only Recourse is to cut your balls is off. to get drunk and castrate yourself. And then did he throw them into the river? <laughs> they skipped. Rocky Mountain Oysters. They, oh, they, yeah. they skipped. Yeah. Rocky that might be where oysters. it came from. Look yeah. what I can do. <laughs> I mean, there's no other... Ex- I, mean, I know. I know. I don't know why he would have decided, I think, the way to get back to... to this will show him. Yeah. Take he was that, just Powell. like under the bridge downtown. Uh-huh. He was just like, sometimes I feel like I don't have a story. Sometimes I feel like, oh, there go my balls. <laughs> to the city I lived in. The city she loved me. My story will never <laughs> be told, and that is sad. Until now, Jack I wonder if, if the testicles floated upstream. <laughs> oh, yeah, magically, he gets around. He becomes one of the country's like leading experts in anthropology and geology, and like his fame is really rising. Well, I mentioned that he uh, is the guy that. Essentially, the entire North or American Hold Southwest on. has to thank for their drinking supply. The one that's famous is Testiless. No, no, Testiful, Testiful, okay. Testiful, Armless, Testiful. Got arm, armless, full, full sack. Got it. That guy, both arms, no testicles. Armless, full test. He had been saying for a long time that the way that the government had planned out the boundaries of the new states was whack he was like you really need to go based off of water yeah water boundaries oh perfect squares yeah aren't gonna yeah he's like what are you doing just making a a rectangle out of wyoming and colorado you haven't even taken into account the natural aspects of these states and he was really saying you need to make it more rivers more like where, where there's giant lakes like let's make it based off that because he saw 
as the nation was growing, he was very prescient that he was like, we're, we're going to have states suing each other for water rights. And oh. it turns out that he, uh, there's a quote. So there's an, some irrigation conference that uh, in 1893, <laughs> 1893. Why was there an irrigation conference? Well, That's because, important. yeah, it's like the, the country is expanding westward. They've never been there before. And he says, quote, gentlemen, you are piling up a heritage of conflict and litigation over water rights for there is no sufficient water to supply the land, end quote. A lot of people ignored him, basically said, hey, man, thanks for doing what you did with the Grand Canyon. That's great. Why don't you go on your way? But the Dust Bowl then hits in the 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah. And people remember, wait a second, didn't he have a plan for this? And then enact what he had proposed all along, thus then creating this wide network of dams. And if you've been to Lake Powell on the other side, it's named after him. All the dams that are out there, Hoover Dam. What's the other one on the, Uh, the God Dam. There's the God Dam. Basically the way that the American Southwest has has a drinking supply is because this guy chose to take 10, nine other people and four boats and say, I want to go down that crazy wild river. Yeah. He did with one arm and then was had the foresight to say, as we grow, we need to get this worked out. Yeah, we need to, to damn it. Was not necessarily silenced, but largely ignored. He and then like, it ended I've got up being some beavers, right. we can airdrop them in. <laughs> yeah. They'll take care of this for us. Good uh, yeah. good he season like five, a, episode one. I wonder reference. if they called him the beaver. The Beeve. Yeah. Uh, he is buried in Arlington National Cemetery next to his wife in recognition of his national service. There's the John Wesley Powell National Conservation Area, about 30,000 acres of land in Utah named after him. A lot of different things named after him. The The highest award presented by the United States Geological Survey to people outside the federal government is named the John Wesley Powell Award. Oh. He's in the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, the Hall of Great Westerners. Where's that? that is in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Oh, I was going to say yeah, Oklahoma City. That makes sense. Yep. There's mountains in California uh, named after him. There's all these different places that have. And again, I didn't know a lot about this guy no. uh, until I read this book. And actually, my dad and I took a trip the summer before my senior year at IU and drove from Indy all the way out there. And Powell's name is everywhere. And it's just cool to think like, have you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? No. No. Okay. So South Rim is very much like Disneyland. That's where like 90% of the visitors go. North Rim is really, really cool, but you have to go. It's a long drive to get there, but it's a really cool way down. You can take mules. We took mules halfway down and then turned around and went back up. Okay. Yeah, my dad and I. It was really cool. That's dope. That's it's, the it's, only way I want to experience. Dude, it's so cool. And then there was another hike that I did, another trip that I went with Straight No Chaser when we had like three days off in the area. And we're like, well, let's go hike the Grand Canyon a little bit. But yeah. it is See also... That guy cut his balls off. <laughs> Full circle. Anyway, look him up. John Wesley Powell. Pretty cool guy. That's really cool. Just a, And if again, if you want to read that book, it is called Down the Great Unknown by Edward Dolnick. So there you go. I like it. Yeah. All right. Fun stuff. That was a fun episode. Cool. Thank you for listening, friends. Don't forget, become a patron if you would like. Share this episode with a fellow history buff, and we will see you in two weeks. 